0: Hi, welcome to the Theory of the Postdoc Evolution, the podcast from the Postdoc Development Center at Queen's University, Belfast. In this episode, Dr. Brian Flatley looks back on his career from analytical chemistry to cancer biomarker discovery to finally start-up life and impacting healthcare with technology. It was recorded in December 2020 as part of a career exploration interview carried out by postdoc Claire Thunry. Enjoy. Brian completed his undergraduate degree at Limerick Institute of Technology, following what he spent some time working as a laboratory analyst at the State Forensic Labor- Laboratory in Ireland. Brian then undertook a PhD at University of Reading, which was focused on biomarker discovery in men's cancers, and then did a postdoc in the Conway Institute of UCD, which was also focused on um, biomarker research into prostate cancer. Brian then moved away from academia and has migrated into the business, taking on the role of lead research analyst at a startup company called HealthXL Global. And he now works at a company called S3 Connected Health, where he is business strategy and engagement manager. So.
1: Great. Listen, thank you so much, Claire, for the opportunity to talk to um, everybody today. Um, Not just necessarily on my own personal reflections of of the career to date, but actually the opportunity to talk to people exactly like the question we had is what is the difference between industry and academia and, and, you know, how do do you transition or what can you transition to? So why don't we just add a little bit of colour maybe to some of your introduction? My career to date. Um, so I grew up in in the west of Ireland and um, there was never a big focus of science in, in my family, it was um, agriculture and teaching was the kind of the main state careers. But in transition year I remember very clearly the the, the moment when I was reading the paper in a, in a work placement and I read an advert for a course in Limerick Institute of Technology for forensic science. And uh, for those of you that may remember uh, Horatio from CSR Miami, was immediately what came up to my uh, came to my mind, and I decided that uh, I was going to go to the the kind of the bright flashing lights of Miami. When I finished, maybe try to be some sort of special scientific advisor to them around what to do and what not to do. Um, so I headed off to, to Limerick in 2004, um, and I suppose despite maybe some misunderstandings, mostly on my behalf what exactly I would be qualified to do. It, it was a really good course. It was practical in terms of creating graduates that are ready to work in, in the world. And they took a holistic approach to their teaching. So um, you know, the headline of forensics was what lured us in, but in reality, it was a strong emphasis on pharmaceutical um, science, analytical chemistry. And if I think back on a lot of my friends that did the course you know that's where they've ended up as well working in analytical uh, chemistry laboratories working in the forensic science or the fren- uh, the, sorry, the pharmaceutical industry as well. Um, as part of that course I did get the opportunity to um, do a placement which um, I was lucky enough to to join the Irish State Laboratory for that placement. That gave me a good I suppose insight into you know, working the working world. I, I would say there's probably still some differences between maybe the civil service in that instance and, and private industry. Um, but I was working in the human toxicology section, so mainly focused on the analysis of biological fluids for drug prescribed and not prescribed and, and illegal drugs for autopsy results. Uh, so a fantastic place to work. Um, quite routine in terms of what was expected, but there was always the and kind of the interest piece around what would turn up in someone's sample. If there was interesting samples that came in, how to analyse them. Lots of complexity around different biological fluids. After that, I went back, finished my degree, and got a contract within the Irish Day laboratory to go back again, and this time working in the veterinary section. Again, quite routine, but there was always like these samples that would come in. Um, quite sideways. I don't know if anybody remembers or was aware of a number of years ago. Norway um, lent Ireland some sea eagles to repopulate some of the, the south of Ireland um, with, with the sea eagles and it wasn't taken too kindly by some of the, the, the farmers in, in Kerry and so there was a number of poison, poisonings of them. So we got samples in from those sea eagles and it was quite an interesting challenge to try and figure out how to analyse them correctly and what to do. That contract ended. Um, it was for a set period of time and I decided to do what most uh, students do is feel like I'm exploring a very well-trodden path of Southeast Asia for a few months. And when I returned and I started to think about what I would work as, I was probably leaning more towards a, a more social job than uh, than working on my own or working, working in a lab at least. And so I decided to give a more sales-orientated job uh, a ago and uh and I was a product specialist at Mason Technology and Mason Technology is is a very old company um in 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 terms of how far back they can claim or trace them the the origin but uh their connection with Shimadzu was was obviously more recent and I was working um as a product specialist where I would be going into industry and acad- academia and promoting selling uh discussing let's say analytical chemistry um uh Technologies and instruments, and and that was fantastic. And as you know, a recent graduate from college, I had a company car and a BlackBerry at the time, and I thought this is this is brilliant love life. And I, probably about a year into it, I began to realize that there was an awful lot of stuff shakara in science that I didn't know, and so therefore, my conversations around the technology and what it was capable of was quite superficial. And uh, and I felt that I really needed, and there was an opportunity to dig a little bit deeper in that and and become a bit more of an expert. So I swapped the company car for uh, Irish Ferries and as Claire mentioned I uh, headed across to Reading in the UK to undertake a PhD in the area of looking for um, mainly blood-based biomarkers in, in for prostate cancer, but uh, there was some other uh, some other you kind know, of side projects I was working on as well. So, uh, looking at tissue tissue imaging using mass spectrometry, um, I also did some work in the area of uh, penile cancer as well. So, quite an interesting, varied uh, PhD. Um, if I think back over, I suppose how I selected that kind of area of research, it was a little bit whimsical in the sense of um, you know, I, I didn't give. I wasn't aware of and there wasn't not necessarily a whole pile of people to ask about how to select the best place to go and do a PhD. Um, So it was a a, a mix of that looks interesting and it was the first place that was offered. But it was a really good time um, because it exposed me to the intersection of medicine and science as well. So I worked in the hospital part time when I needed to recruit patients for my studies worked through getting all the ethics approval. And so very much took the samples from the patients, from from that kind of the origin right through to the lab, testing them, and did the data analysis at the other end as well. So that was fantastic. Um, at the end of my PhD, I did want to go back to Ireland, and I was very fortunate that uh, there was an opening in Professor, Professor Stephen Pennington's lab in the area of prostate cancer biomarker um, discovery. and. and probably at the latter end of discovery moving more towards commercialisation as well. So that's where I met Claire and uh and we worked together in Steve's lab and I was funded under a Movember grant um to look at let's say the Global Action Project and it was a collaboration and as Derek mentioned the importance of collaboration and this was a global collaboration. So I got a chance to engage with laboratories in the US and Canada and other parts of Europe and Australia and draw together learnings from proteomics through to genomics to look and see if we could identify kind of a set of or a panel of biomarkers that better predict or could better serve the prediction and treatment of prostate cancer as well in parallel at that time. And this is probably where I realized that Derek so mentioned earlier, you know, to people that are are always drawn to science or fall into it. I probably fell a little bit into it in in the sense of that newspaper article, and I began to realize that maybe my natural home wasn't uh, wasn't in the lab or wasn't in the research, but still very much focused in in healthcare and science. In that intersection. So uh, Steve was at the same time as I was working on the Movember grant, he was working on the commercialization of some previous research he had done in the lab before I joined. And so I got the opportunity to take part in some commercialization programs in UCD. So Nova UCD ran a program called Venture Launch and exposed me to the startup life. Um, you know the idea of building business models around what you were trying to to commercialize understanding your market and, and, and ultimately um, scale that and bring to market. So that's where I joined Health Excel. Um, having got a little bit of a taste of the, the startup world, I decided that's where I wanted to try next and, uh, and joined a startup team of two. And uh, on the same day I joined, the, uh, the head of marketing joined. So it wasn't hard to, to become a, a nice lofty title of head of research when there was only three other people in the company and, and, and nobody else had worked in research. And uh, the fire there is really to signify the baptism of fire. Um, the question around industry to to academia—that was the first baptism of fire. The pace at which we moved at, because we were a startup, was incredibly fast. Um, I was very very fortunate during during that job to travel the world. Um, so I worked in projects in Australia, in Asia, in the U.S., all the way you know from from west coast to east coast. I met um, a huge network of people all focused on the area of digital health. So I transi- transitioned slightly from, say, looking at the commercialization of wet lab science to more looking at the commercialization or the implementation of technology into healthcare um, at this point. And I just found it very, very interesting. I felt like we were much closer to having an impact in, in healthcare, or at least a, a very immediate impact um, in healthcare as well. So I think that that's probably spawned my, my the last seven years interest and, and love of digital health and what it can promise and what it can offer in healthcare. Um, so I worked there for two years and I worked across you know a variety of therapeutic areas, trying to understand how technology can make a difference and, and how we draw together collaborations from our pharmaceutical bi- uh, biotech industries, hospital networks and startups. And then I moved to S3 Connected Health. And so it is an Irish-based company. Uh, we have about 200 people. Uh, we have an office in Dublin and also an office in Bratislava in Poland and sales and marketing activities in, in the in the US. Primarily, we work with the life science industry today to build out digital service that either go around their drug or go beyond it. And I don't know, um, how much people have have heard of or, or looked into how digital can can make an impact on healthcare outcomes, but there's um, newer technologies called digital therapeutics, where very akin to uh, a drug, an active pharmaceutical ingredient, you're developing an active digital ingredient um, that is capable of achieving healthcare outcomes on its own, and you're wrapping around that a service, and then that needs to be developed the same as a drug would be in the sense of the safety, the efficacy, and the the evidence needs to be um, created for that. So that's part of the work that we do at S3 Connected Health, and um, and at that point as well, I realised that you know I had a good underpinning in science, but I also wanted to go back out and look at, you know, business and try and understand business a little bit more. So I worked in, or I was lucky enough that uh, S3 sent me off to DIT to do a postgraduate diploma in uh, international sales, and from there I moved into a. Slightly bigger role in 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 the company around business strategy and engagement. So then I was involved more in setting the strategy of how we engage with pharmaceutical companies, what sort of um, <clears throat> what sort of digital strategy should should a pharmaceutical company or a biotech company be setting around the implementation of digital, and, and how we can then as a company play a role in that. Um, and then just earlier this year I finished uh, my postgraduate diploma in business finance um, as well, and that helps me a little bit more to understand um, around finance management within within the company as well. And, you know, everything from raising capital to to cost, cost-based cost analysis and understanding that. Um, I'm kind of moving through this quite quickly, I know, but uh, we're at 2020 now and so the last two bits is I've now switched tax a little bit more in my education and I'm doing a certificate in, in agriculture. So, uh, so hopefully by 2022, because it takes quite a while, I'll also have uh, my green cert to, to become a farmer. And as of uh, the 1st of January, I'll be head of consultancy at uh, S3 Connected Health as well. So now I'll be taking on uh, much more responsibility around our delivery and working with our clients more closely. A couple of things, just I know this is very, very quick uh, tour through it. Um, I purposely put my education underneath it because while it's not always directly obvious how I moved from that education to that job role, it has absolutely underpinned everything that I've done. I think having a basis in science gives people a... Not, a, not alone a curiosity, but also a rigor that uh, that I don't always see when I you know engage with some some of my more we'll say business marketing orientated um, colleagues as well. I think that that is a foundation that we, we should base a lot on, and we should always look for the evidence um, and the data around things, and that that's what I would hold as kind of a, a pillar of that as well. Um, it is important to not feel completely tied to you know to, to only looking within the area you feel you're qualified in. Um, be curious, I mean in, in, in the you know COVID times we can sign up to virtual events all the time, learn a little bit about you know adjacent industries to yours or you know the commercial impact of maybe some of the research that you're doing as well. And I think that gives people a sort of a feel as to the boundaries and where you can push the boundaries of where, where you might head and what you could do. Well,
0: that was great. Um Brian, thanks so much. So um I'm going to start off with her question: Is what is the difference between working in academia and industry? And and I just might expand out on that a bit more. It's like, what did you find was the biggest challenge when you initially made the move?
1: There's pressure in any in any job, and of course, everybody feels to the that they're you know that they're working at their capacity, or, or hopefully, most people are working at their capacity. So it's not to say that there's more stress in industry or more stress in in, in academia, but. It's a different type of time pressure stress that I find in industry. Um, you need to move, uh, a lot quicker typically, particularly in the area that we're in where we're doing consultancy, we're doing services into a third party as well. So the expectation is even if we're doing research, we're doing it quite expedited that we, you know, <laughs> that we hand that off, um, very quickly to the client and we can move on and make decisions from there as well. Um, the other, maybe the downside or, or, or at least a difference is, there's not as much opportunities for divergence or or finding something that's interesting and, and kind of going down that path for a little while to explore it. Um, if I or you know some of the team want to put forward an idea for research or you know and maybe a new business idea, we do have to link it to what's the return of investment that we expect from that or you know where is the business opportunity in that as well. Um, that does depend on the company and and you know the company I work with is fantastic, gives us great opportunities to conceive medication, education, but there is that need to be quite. Commercially astute as well, and and I'm not saying it's not there in academia, but it's certainly sharper in, in, in uh, the industry.
0: Um, and then it's just another question I was going to ask then about that. I know you've kind of said about like how your ed- your science education background has helped like in the position you uh, position that you're in now. But were there any other like soft skills you'd say from your PhD post that you feel helped expedite your progression through the like, through your new career path, or that you would look for when you're hiring people as well?
1: I think that from it, it might be a personal trait as well in different people, but um, but having a strong science or research background, I think makes people a little bit more confident in, you know, once they start to to read and understand an area, that they can kind of put their arms around and say, okay, here's, here's my findings, here's what I think about it as well. And, and uh, certainly when I still read papers, you know, I still get a, a weekly PubMed um, you know, search back to, to my inbox. Or, now in the area that I'm interested in and so I can read those papers and understand you know to not always to, to the ninth degree of them but I can understand them and, and that kind of science-based uh, background has helped that when I look at people that you know we're, we're bringing in you know we have uh, a number of different PhDs in, on the consultancy team now with we'll say health psychology somewhat nutrition backgrounds Look for people that are able to leverage those skills and adapt them to the to a new task. You know, adapt the research skills to a new to a new task as well. Able to figure out, for example, how could I conduct a research study or or an evidence path for digital therapeutics if I know how I've done it for you know my my research um, study and my PhD uh, as well, and have those kind of the view to translational skills. Yeah.
0: Um, and then another question I was going to. Um, Joseph just put in a question here about the job contracts in industry. So, are they generally short term or long term contracts?
1: I, I mean, my, my 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 contracts are typically typically permanent. Um, until until I've decided to jump ships. Um, there, there's a mix, of course, in, in anything. And you know, a short term contract can give you some flexibility to to get uh get a bit of a feel to the industry and move on. But but I would say leaning more towards that you can get. Permanent contracts um, in industry industries uh, probably easier even than your early stage academic career as well, where you're on a two-year postdoc, two-year postdoc, and you know trying to move that way through 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 your career.
0: So say in your job of head research, which was like the one you moved into first, and um, what would your day-to-day have been there? That different. I mean, obviously you weren't lab-based, but like aside yeah. from that, what was like what was the role like? It
1: was, and I'm smiling because, you know, the head of research, uh, as I said, it's a lofty title, but for for the reality was, was, was chaotic. We were a startup working with, you know, we were very fortunate to have global clients, um, but it was, You know, clients that were in Australia and San Francisco. So my day was long. I was working on projects where, for example, you were doing research in aged care technology and then COPD and how we can, you know, create smart inhalers to try and track adherence. So it was very, very varied. And compared to when I was in, you know, in Steve's lab or, or before that in prostate cancer, it was quite vertically focused. We knew the boundaries where we were researching and what we needed to do. There really was no boundaries in that job in, in the sense of like everything went, if it was important to bring to the collaboration, you know, it was it was it was there. To give you an example, I could be doing landscape analysis of technology one day, the next day I had, you know, a um, cup of tea and biscuits with Age Action Ireland to learn a little bit more like about the challenges of isolation Um, for, you know, as you get older and understanding how technology can play a role in that and just that kind of patients with a human-based uh, research that that's required to, to build up a full picture of how you can make a change so very very varied
0: and, and when you were first considering your move um, out of academia so how did you go about finding opportunities um yeah. or was it just pure chance or did you have a strategy there
1: and good good load of questions cause i remember we, we talked about this a lot um when i was when i was trying to make the move and uh i did a couple of things i decided be, I was very interested in startup technology, in the startup area. So I printed little business cards with my CD on the back and kind of, uh, my name and details on the front and started to go to events and hand them out to companies, to people that I just thought were interesting to have a chat to, to have a conversation that might be interested in. There was one particular meetup in Dublin that, um, that, that I went to where I met one of the co-founders of Health Excel and we just had a conversation chat. To be honest, didn't really know what they were doing, but thought, That sounds really good in general, the conversation about what you're having. Tom was a really likeable guy that we got on well and said, you know, what I'd like to be part of that journey. But I think there's no, I mean, sitting looking on LinkedIn is, of course, one way to, to find jobs. But the reality is you have to get up, you have to get out and you have to talk to people. And if you want to move to a new industry, you should find people that are in there and reach out. I will always do a call with somebody if they reach out on LinkedIn. I'll always make sure I message someone back if they've added me because that's how you build up a network of people you can tap into as well um, and, and just have a conversation with. To One of the things that I was going to mention that I think is quite important, um, and it's for, for either. It's Derek's point about sometimes there's not a very obvious path as to where anybody should be going, but people have gone there before you. You just need to find a mentor, find somebody that you can have a conversation with that you look up to. They don't have to be in exactly the same industry or the exactly the same space, but they'll have made decisions and learned from them. And you can kind of piggyback on that a little bit. So I have a couple of people that if I have to make a big choice, if I have to think about something that I'll reach out and have a a chat and don't be afraid to ask somebody
0: so there's another question that's come in as well um what qualities do postdocs need to succeed um in industry research obviously it is different so yeah it's not going to suit every type of postdoc
1: <laughs> absolutely and i just want to be very clear that when um that i'm talking about will say <coughs> uh life after postdoc in industry i wasn't doing the, the same sort of research i was doing in 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 ucd or, or in reading so if you're thinking about postdoc research or research into a pharmaceutical company where you're continuing on in in the the lab then i would say and i've not done it so i'm kind of you know imagining it's a similar sort of vein where you have a research topic and projects and you're working away but with a more commercial focus for me um people that are on our team that have phds and that have postdocs i look for them as i said to be quite active quite Quite willing to kind of make a leap in terms of I can see what I've done in the past and I can the de-applic- application of that now as well. Not to stand back and be really hesitant and very closed in about it. I think you have to be have to be a little bit more adventurous um, and see a wider application to your skills as well. So so not to not to be the quiet person in the corner um, who just wants to to do that one piece of research and not be prepared to translate those skills and offer them to to, to other to other areas.
0: Um. One question I have is, what's the best career advice you've been given that you'd that you'd pass on?
1: Uh, it, it's quite simple. So try try not to come with problems to people, and and it comes to that idea of speaking up. Come with a solution or a suggested solution because you know if somebody comes to me for discussion, you know I, I normally feel I'm no more qualified than you are to think through this. So let's you know let's put our heads together on it. So so always always try and have have a, a suggested solution. And I know it sounds a little bit corny around the career mentor or the mentor, but I, I do think it, it's really important to be able to just talk to somebody um, about an idea and get a little bit of outside perspective, so just to reemphasize that one.
0: And when you sought when you out a career mentor, Brian, sorry, was that someone you worked with before, or did you just reach out to someone you admired through Stephen them on LinkedIn or whatever?
1: I had engaged with them before. Yeah, so yeah. not not worked directly, but uh, indirectly had been in, in in say the the network of, of them as well, and uh, and just thought they'd done quite a, a good career path and and made some good decisions and assumed that there was some learning along the way from from them.
0: Um, thanks so much, Brian. Your talks are really really good, and um, I'm sure people find them helpful. That's it for today. I hope you enjoyed listening to Brian's journey. And if you want some more, check our other episodes on our website at go.qub.ac.uk slash podcastpdc. Bye.